Greetings and salutations, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Matt Scrivens, and we are delighted and honored that you are joining us. On the show this week, we have Jamie Wood, co-founder and COO at Fanoramas. Fanoramas, as the name suggests, is a fan engagement company focused on building the fan experience through personalized content. If you're at a sporting event, Fanoramas is going to make sure that they take that perfect photo of you to commemorate the big moments. Gone are the days where you have to choose between celebrating and taking a selfie. And you can even ditch the selfie stick, which I know firsthand can be an issue at security. Now you may be saying to yourself, uh, Matt, there has been this little thing going on for the past nine months called COVID. I hate to be the harbinger of bad news, but a fan engagement app isn't exactly the hottest of commodities these days. Point well made, and as you will hear, COVID could not have come at a worse time for Fanoramas. But instead of sitting there and feeling sorry for themselves, Fanoramas decided to make a hard pivot and start a health tech company called Take Two to aid in the mitigation of the novel coronavirus, which is a fascinating story of resilience and perseverance in and of itself. While we do discuss the challenges facing the entertainment industry at length, we also cover how the idea for Fanoramas came about, how Fanoramas built their product and tested some of their core assumptions. We also discuss the importance of breaking your big idea down into manageable pieces and why you must be an evangelist for your business and product. And to that I say, Amen. Please do check out Fanoramas and their new company Take Two. Links are in the show notes. If you're anything like me, I cannot wait to watch live sports again without fear of catching corona. And when that day does come, I hope Fanoramas will be there helping me capture the moment. On a final note, if you do have any legal questions about your business, why not get an advice session with one of our fantastic lawyers, or better yet, subscribe to become a Good Lawyer Pro. For the low cost of $49 a month, your business gets unlimited 15-minute advice sessions whenever they need them, access to our vetted legal templates, and a ton of exclusive discounts. To find out more, please visit our website at goodlawyer.ca pro. All right, that's it for me. On to our conversation with Jamie Wood, and I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Jamie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Matt. Thanks. I'm well. Thank you very much for having me. It's our pleasure, and I'm glad that we could finally connect. This is the uh, seems to be the ever existing problem with busy folks is that uh, it's it, it's tough to find even an hour to sit down and, and have a chat sometimes. And I know I've been uh, bugging you for a little over a month now. So I'm, I'm just excited that we could finally find a time. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Right on, right on. Uh, so let's just jump right into the reason that we are here today. And that is to talk about your business. So let's start by getting you just to introduce yourself and uh, your business fanoramas. Okay, sure. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm co-founder and COO of Fanoramas, and uh, Fanoramas is um, it's funny to talk about it in the face of COVID, but I'll give you the background. Um, so Fanoramas is a sports tech fan engagement company focused on um, building the fan experience through personalized content. So um, basically, what we do is take photos of all fans at big events and push highlight real content to your phone uh, in real time. 
And so it's super exciting, but uh, obviously we we don't have a fan engagement problem right now. So <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> right. There's uh, the world has conspired against you a little bit uh, at, at the moment. Uh, I, I'm guessing COVID obviously threw you for a bit of a loop. Yeah, absolutely. You know, COVID. Uh, you know, we we thought we had other problems. <laughs> we didn't really see COVID right around the corner <laughs> back in March. But back in March, we were really just on the cusp of commercialization. Uh, we had an amazing pilot deal going forward in the UK with uh, with a pretty amazing club, and we were getting set up and trying to figure out how we were going to take photos of you know 50,000 fans simultaneously, and how we were going to do all of that. And so Al, who is my co-founder and and uh, and husband, was over there getting set up, and then you know everything shut down. So he was uh, he had to come home, and so it quite literally couldn't have hit us. And a worse time. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's yeah. heartbreaking. Even to hear you just lay that out there. Uh, so you're <laughs> you're right on the the cusp of it going forward, and when all of this happened, then. Yeah, yeah, and so obviously, you know that that work was all canceled, and and here we are. All right. Um, but you know, it's it's okay. Like we're on pause, and we're you know we've redirected our efforts um, in support of of recovery and. Fanoramas is still going, still is, and and will be a relevant company when we um, when we get past this pandemic. And so, in the meantime, we're we're hoping that we can help the recovery effort and and work bring digital technology to um, the life science space to support the effort a little bit. But Excellent. I'm happy to keep talking about Fanoramas. Do you want to just let us know a little bit how it works? Uh, like, how, you obviously said fan engagement. What what does that mean? So, fan engagement uh, is a huge category, actually. It's a subsector all on its own if you look at the sports tech market. Um, but fan engagement platform, we're, what we're really doing is creating a new kind of content platform specifically focused on fans. So, you know, you've got all kinds of platforms focused on giving you statistics, highlights of the, of the in-game or at event experience, but not of your own personalized experience. And so Fanoramas uses cameras to capture fan reactions to to that action and the, you know, on the field or, or um, favorite moments. So our goal is actually to give fans a keepsake that can take them back to those epic moments in time where they witnessed something great or celebrated with a friend or, you know, created a shared experience that is really hard to capture when you're in the moment. So we're about bringing authenticity um, to those moments and making them shareable. Well, that's exactly right. I know as a, a, a sports fan, sometimes an annoyingly big one myself. I wish I wasn't as much as I am, but I see people when I'm celebrating, you know, I'm my, I'm a Calgary Flames fan, uh, long suffering, of course, since they have not done much in my lifetime, really. But, you know, when they score or something like that, I'm up cheering and I see other people taking pictures and I'm just not one of those people that that, that triggers, you know, like I, I, I'm caught up in the moment or whatever. So I'm guessing that your product would be able to help out with that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the moment. And then the idea is that we can couple that with, you know, with other content from uh, the, the team or the event that you're at and create a really special um, piece of content for you. So do you tap right into the cameras that are existing in the stadium or arena or whatever, wherever the event is taking place? Is that how that works? Uh, no, actually. Um, so you'd be amazed how many cameras are in, in stadiums. I, I could only um, imagine. Yes. <laughs> But none of which we could really tap into. They're all really 
there for specific reasons, mostly security. And in our case, we need different kinds of cameras. We need um, higher resolution cameras and we need to, to point them in the very specific zones and places. So we're a purpose, I would say it's a, it's a custom in-venue installation. So we're really going after uh, larger teams and, and events where we can, you know, where we can actually drive revenue from that. So it's an in-venue installation and we, you could think of it like a local area network of cameras in a way. So all of our cameras are, are connected and the software does the magic. So when you take a, a photo, um, we're capturing everyone simultane- simultaneously and then pushing that to your seat. And that's, that's just based on, on your seat data. So we're just mapping you against the so, software. So when you sign up, do you have to like let you guys know where you're seated? Is that right? So if I sign up for this thing and I want my picture taken, how will you know to find the right person? Yeah, exactly. It's based on your seat. So you would okay. opt in with us and give us your section row and seat data. And, uh, and then we'd be able to push you content. Very cool. Yeah, very so cool. It's, it's really, it, it took, it's very cool. It took a lot to get to simple, like just to, you know, to be able to opt into your section row and seat and tell us you want to participate. Uh, you know, getting there was a lot. Like uh, you never think about it, you know, when you come up with a great idea and you're like, yeah, that, that would be amazing. Let's right, do that. Right. Uh, you know, what's actually driving that and what's behind it. It's uh, it's quite another another game altogether, right? But I mean, the idea was really it came from my husband. He's a he's a total sports junkie. He's been to countless events all over the world, and he would come home with great stories and you know a few really bad shots of himself. And he was always really frustrated with how hard it was to actually share out his experience. And he would come home and he'd be like, oh, well, you, you know, like this moment was amazing. Like you can, oh, well, you can't really tell from this picture, but it was awesome. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm sure that was really great. <laughs> and so, you know, so he kind of started to mull on that. And at the time we were, we were talking about starting our own company. And so um, one night he came home from the pub and, you know, he'd explain like the BBC had put up some amazing images of fans celebrating and in full fanfare, right? Like painted faces and scarves. And, and he kind of thought like, wouldn't that be great if every fan could get the BBC quality photo of themselves? You know, and I think in this case, he was watching the World Cup. And so that's really where the idea was born. And then it, it took us a long time to get to, you know, to find the right partner, to build our technology, to find our ideal customer or who we think is our ideal customer. Uh, and just working through all the, the trials of actually building a technology and, and finding people who want to buy it. You know, there's, uh, there's a lot behind there, as, as anyone doing a startup well knows. Of course. Yeah. No, I already have about a hundred questions jumping out at me about that, that very thing. But uh, just before we jump into that, cause I absolutely want to get there. You did mention that you have a couple other companies and I, I maybe let's just quickly introduce those before we dive too deep here on Fanoramas. Yeah, sure. As I mentioned, Fanoramas is on pause and we'll, we'll get to commercialization eventually. But in the meantime, while we're in the shutdown, you know, we kind of, you know, had a, a, a night of whiskey and <laughs> we can cry in a corner or we can actually do something to to support our, our recovery from the pandemic. And so our second company is called Take-Two Health Technologies, and it is our reaction to COVID. You know, without, without fans and seats, there isn't fanoramas, and that's disappointing. But, you know, people are dying and <laughs> we could lament over our bad luck or we could think about how we can help our community recover. And so Take-Two is uh, a life sciences company that provides digital health screening 
using remote vital sign technology to get people back to work and to get travelers traveling again. Our belief is that we need to go beyond self-assessment surveys, for example, and actually use digital tools to fight the spread of the pandemic. Uh, And not just this pandemic. I mean, we need to reimagine what our future is going to look like in terms of tools, protocols, and processes that get implemented in the, in the travel industry and in other industries, because this pandemic, unfortunately, is not going to be the last one. Right. It's kind of like every four years, sort of like the floods. <laughs> used to be right. every hundred years. Now we're seeing it every four. And, you know, the, the same is, is holding true for, for disease and, and virus spread. So, so that's what we decided to do. And so it's, it's pretty straightforward. You, you use the camera on your phone. Uh, through our application to detect your vital signs. So, uh, you know, things like heart rate, breathing rate, blood oxygen saturation. Um, And it's not a diagnostic tool, but uh, like using research that's been established through medical journals so far, we can create a COVID likeliness test. So we can start to look at individual baseline metrics against COVID likeliness metrics and then give you kind of a yellow, a green, yellow, red type of reading. And so we see this as a way to actually support throughput in airports and stadiums and anywhere that you've got mass mobilization and need to get get people back into somewhere, um, then we can help, you know, at the front triage that so that we can get the 90% who are green and get them moving and then look after the yellows and the reds, for example. And in that way, you're not having to share, you know, your personalized data. You're just sharing, sharing uh, you know, essentially a QR code. Man, you're so on too many interesting things right now. <laughs> <laughs> and very relevant. Like, wow, that's, uh, that, yeah, that's quite the pivot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it took a couple pivots to get to here, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's what we're working on. Well, let's, let's we're put for far. the sake, yeah, no, <laughs> no, it does not sound like it. <laughs> and, uh, and let's, let's put a pin in that for the moment, just for the, the sake of time and get back to uh, Famorama. Let's, let's kind of just start going for a bit of a deep dive into that company. Uh, so I guess my first question about Famorama is, is what got you excited about this idea? Like you mentioned that your husband and your business partner, which I imagine there's some issues managing that relationship that might be a little unique, but your, your husband and business partner is a, an average sports fan are you as well and like why was this a problem that you felt was worth solving well it's funny so he comes at it from yeah and and working with your husband and your your partner it's not for everyone but it it totally (laughs) works for us we've always worked together and uh, we work really well together and have um, have kind of different but complementary skill sets so it works and yeah so he's really the sports guy but my background is in is in digital and I cut my teeth in my career working at an agency called Critical Mass and uh, worked for some amazing brands and uh, they sent me all over the world and I ended up setting up an office for them in in Geneva and working over there for a while. Uh, And then coming back to Canada, you know, you you don't realize how your career kind of influences the decisions you make, but, um, (laughs) you know, in retrospect, you're like, it's obvious. So for me, I was coming at it as from a digital marketing standpoint. And what the problem that I saw is that when I go to a game as a Fairweather fan, I'm so bored. So if I'm, (laughs) if I'm not super keen on what's going on on the ice or what's going on on the field, I'm people watching, I'm interacting with, uh, you know, with the human beings that are there and also the media. And what I noticed is just a really, really dated 
model in terms of advertising and um, and sponsorship in what's going on in venues. And so from from my perspective, I was like, this is, you know, a 50, 60 year old model where we're just spending advertising dollars on on billboards and sponsorships that people aren't looking at anymore. You know, the truth is everyone's on their phone. And if we're not reaching fans on their phones, we're not reaching them at all. And so, you know, for from my side, I saw a huge opportunity to create relevant mobile content um, that was personalized and meaningful for every fan. And so and so for that, I saw a huge market opportunity. And Al was solving the fan engagement, uh, the fan, you know, the, the, the specialized fan problem of not being able to get what you want out of an event and, you know, fill, fill your man cave. So to speak. <laughs> but for me, I, I saw I came at it from the business side and the business problem, which was, um, you know, we could do better in here. There's so much that we could do better on mobile, and um, and having just gone to to events here in Calgary, gone to Flame game, Flames games, and gone to some some football games in Europe, you know, I could see that everyone. It doesn't take long. You just look around, and you know, 95% of the fans are on their phone. So we we know we have to be there. Right. No, that makes complete sense. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you. It is a very dated model, and. Yes, everyone is looking at their phones, not at the billboard sign on the on the ice. That's for sure. So, mm-hmm. but maybe just talk a bit about that. Then, like, how did you build this product and validate it? Like, did you have technical, you know, coding skills yourself? Did you have to hire someone? And then, how did you know that this idea in the format that you were presenting it was going to work? <laughs> we still don't. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think that's that's the constant problem for the entrepreneur, right? And for the startup, it's. You don't just arrive at market fit one day. You you work <laughs> through that as a as a process, and you do that by understanding your customers. And so, you know, the problem that we thought we were solving, we realized we weren't. But I'll answer the question about how we built it first. So yeah, so it, it was super cool to to kind of conceive it and say, okay, well, um, you know, we're going to get everyone in the stadium. We're going to get a, you know, fifty thousand people some amazing content in real time sent to their directly to their devices um so it seems simple <laughs> seems obvious right and so at that time you know this we were we were kind of early there was one other player on the market and digital technology is, is was not where it is today i mean we were still messing around on blackberries i think and so we couldn't find it took us two years to find the right partner to build our our back-end technology and everyone wanted to build us an app and we're like, yes, we need an app on the front end, but we actually need software on the back end. Like there is a back end to this that needs to do some pretty amazing things. Um, and so we ended up, uh, you know, I spent like two years trying to find the right partner. And we finally partnered with uh, the, Fraunhofer, the Fraunhofer Institute out of Germany. And these guys are a tech transfer institute. So they've got, uh, you know, a bunch of PhDs working there, solving research problems, and then they have a commercial arm. <clears throat> That's how they fund the institute. So sort of like 80% pure research and 20% commercial projects. And so they agreed to work with us. And it took us about a year and a half to get our prototype done. And, uh, and then we started testing it. And so that was the back end. And then given both mine and Al's backgrounds in um, digital technology and digital marketing. We knew some people in the industry who are you know, great developers. So, so we have a third team member 
who built the front end of the program. And we built that as a web application just to keep our costs down from the beginning so, so it can run anytime, anywhere. And, uh, and then eventually we'll build an app once we, you know, once we kind of evolve our, our product market fit, we'll, we'll move to an application. But we don't need to maintain all of that right now. It's too much infrastructure at this early stage. Right. So, and very quickly, was that, daunt- like, that's a huge task that you guys took on. You know, was that daunting? Like, how did you maintain the faith if it took you two years to find a partner that could even <laughs> build it? Like, that's that's incredible. I, I I don't like. I'll be just blunt. I don't know if I would have had the patience. I'm not a particularly patient person in general. It's something I am working on. I'm. I should probably go see a therapist or something. But you know, that's <laughs> uh, <how>, club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how? But how did you say no? This is something that we're we're going to stick with. Um. You know, we are we are total evangelists. Uh, with respect to the the concept, we could see that it had um, some really great early stage traction in the market through um, through some of the initial companies that took the stage. And you know, we so we watched two companies kind of start and fall, uh, and so we were able to learn from that. And we could see all the while, you know, the business problem is the main challenge here. But we know that without fan adoption and fan engagement, we have nothing. And what we could see from the companies that were there is that the number one thing was that fans loved it. Fans were like couldn't get enough of this. And so we know that that this is super relevant for fans. And if the audience loves it, the business side will get on board. And so, um, so that's I think why we're we're able to kind of sustain our motivation and our momentum. And, and so, you know, and we believe in it. Like, it, I mean, you have to be an evangelist for your startup or it's not going to go anywhere, right? So we, right. Are, we are 100% behind it and, and super passionate about it. And, and, and not only that, we had some really great conversations with the market early on. Uh, some of the biggest teams and clubs in the world were looking at us and talking to us about how we could run potential pilot projects and, you know, what that would look like. And, you know, we, we probably targeted a little bit too high uh, in terms of our, who we thought our ideal customer, go-to-market customer was. You know, we're talking about major, major events. And really, they need to see proof, right? So we, have right. To, we had to dial that back a little bit um, and prove it more locally, start to prove it at smaller scale events before we can get there. But all of them that we talked to, and we went to... We went to Qatar, we went to France, we went to the UK, like we studied the market globally. And everyone said, show us how it works. Once you've got it figured out, then yeah, let's talk. And so, um, so then we knew that our mission was to, to go back and validate it at a smaller scale. And so that's what we started to do. And we spent a couple of years doing that. And then we were hitting the big leagues in March. <laughs> and then, now what and happened then again? Nothing happened, yeah, right? Yeah, was, no, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing happened. Oh, yeah, nothing I can't, happened. I, <laughs> I just have to say, I am, my heart is breaking just hearing that story. You're working so hard for so long. It sounds like you're just about to, st- you know, get over that hump. And then obviously a global pandemic, which uh, I mean, you know, has, has thrown a stick in the spokes for, I know for a few people, but man, timing. Wow. That's uh, that's especially tough for you. Uh, but a couple things that came out of there is um, it sounded like you did have some great feedback from both 
the users, the fans themselves, as well as some of these sports teams that you have were in contact with. But a very quick question. How did you validate your idea? Like it sounded like you actually had something oh, yeah. to bring to the teams to show them, hey, this is how it works. But obviously this was, it sounded like either concurrently or prior to the product actually being built. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we did have an MVP built uh, and I, I would call it like really a, a true beta product. So we started to um, tap into the local community as much as we could. And it's funny because I, I studied the innovation ecosystem in Calgary in university. And um, part of my thesis work was to, and maybe this is where I got the bug, but part of my thesis work was to interview like a hundred companies in the wireless and tech sector in Calgary. And so I kind of got a, a feel for, for what these companies look like. And so when we moved away from Calgary for about six years, I kind of lost sight of what the ecosystem looked like. And so coming at it with my own startup brought kind of a new perspective and, and, uh, and a, a way to re-engage. And so we started talking to the likes of ATB and we applied to the, the Junction program at Platform and we did that. We took the Accelerator program. And we started to really tap into, you know, and the and, and um, CED's TAP program. We took that the Trade Accelerator program. There's so many resources in Calgary now that just didn't exist before, and so we leveraged the network to help us. So, you know, how to make contact. So we talked to ATB and the, you know, our friend at ATB they talked to his friend, and they got us a pilot project with the bull busting. Uh, our first project was. <laughs> You know, we built a system to take photos of like 40,000 people simultaneously. And our first pilot project was taking photos of like 2,000 people in a live bull, <laughs> bull ring outdoor, you know, in between some flatbed trucks. Like it, it, was, com- it was complete chaos. Right. But, um, you know, we learned so much. We were still able to validate, you know, the, just the, the nuts and bolts of our platform. Like, does it work? Can we get the photos? And does anyone care, <laughs> right? Like, do, right. do the business partners care and do the fans care? And so we did that. We did that with um, the bull busting. Uh, and we did that with Hockey Canada, with the Brooks Bandits last year. And then we also did a, a pilot project in Germany um, in uh, uh, for the Deutschland Cup for the 2018 Deutschland Cup. Yeah, so that was kind of our biggest installation and we were doing 20,000 fans at the same time. Um, And that worked out really well. And so it was kind of, that was our stepping stone for, you know, understanding how we needed to iterate on the product, understanding how we needed to iterate on the fan experience, um, and then how we were going to reach the market market and and talk about our, our messaging to our, to what we thought and still think is our ideal customer. You know, and I'll just say, I think that is a fantastic answer that you just gave. And frankly, a a mini masterclass in how to validate an idea without having a full product. Because I know so many people, it seems so overwhelming, their vision of the company, and they don't see any way to break it down into, you know, smaller pieces to test. But even going to the Brooks Bandits, which is a junior hockey, a junior A hockey team mm-hmm. in Alberta, which, you know, gets maybe 1,500,000 people a game, that kind of, at least I actually played in the league a, a long time ago. Oh, cool. it, may, it may have grown since then, but, uh, you know, this is not a major center. 
you know, but you guys going out there and to the bull busting and things like this and, and getting that validation, I think is just so critical for people to understand, like, break it down. <laughs> How can you do yeah. this? Can you do it with a spreadsheet even before you build a full app and a database, you know, so that's, I think that was just a fantastic answer. Yeah, it's like, you know, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, understand your market and understand your tech. And, you know, if first Brooks Bandit, next EPL, right? Like you've got to right, find exactly. your path there. Yeah. And so it's the same thing on, on take two where we're rolling up our sleeves, only we're, our approach is completely different. Rather than building a product first, we're building the market and looking for how we can support the market, solve their, their reopening problem, and then we'll, we'll add technology to fill it rather right. than uh, pushing the boulder up the mountain and <laughs> with the tech. <laughs> Amazing. So just switching gears here a little bit, this is, after all, a legal podcaster, at least in some respects. So uh, have there been any legal issues that you've encountered setting up and running your business that you think other entrepreneurs should be aware of or that would be helpful to say, hey, you know what, I might encounter this at some point, like don't panic. There are solutions uh, and maybe just talk about some of your experience, experiences about how you have dealt with those. Sure. Um, you know, we, we talked about all kinds of challenges, but uh, I think from a legal perspective, for Fanoramas, it was really around GDPR. We conducted a pilot project in Germany, and we were, you know, as I mentioned, set to kick off some things in the UK. So we had to be GDPR compliant. And what is that? Um, what is GDPR for those who don't know? General Data Privacy Regulation. Right. It's all I the think. cookie stuff, right? Yeah. That, that you says you are accepting that we're taking some of your data on the on the website when you click on it is that correct more or less yeah, yeah. well it's it's broader than that but it's the eu regu it's the european union regulation for data privacy and protection right so they in 2018 they launched uh, a whole new policy around that and so uh now there's an entire industry it's kind of like SOX compliance we we spun up an entire industry around being SOX compliant and now we're we're having to be gdpr compliant and it's one thing to be compliant in your technology, um, where you know what your privacy specifications are need to look like and how you store data and where you store data and all of that. But it's quite another to be, you know, to prove that you're legally compliant in a space when nobody really understands fully what compliance looks like. And so um, for us, that was a real challenge. It was really difficult to find uh, local specialists that we could afford to talk to you about GDPR. Um, and then we ended up working with a firm in the UK, uh, mostly because they were tied to the, uh, the club that we were going to pilot with. And so we thought, okay, well, this is a natural fit. And it was also a critical issue for us. Like we, we had to be working with a local firm and get make sure we get it right. It's not something you can screw up and right. you can't do it over because you don't have those kinds of budgets as a startup company. So um, very important. You know, so for us, yep. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it was GDPR is like, you know, was really our world for uh, an entire year trying to work through that. Um, and uh, yeah, there are others, but legally, you know, I think everything else we could solve locally um, from a startup perspective. We had a lot of great help with um, structuring the, the company and cap tables and IP and, and all of that, but but GDPR, we really um, needed to source that from um, from the UK. Two points there. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That especially with startups, you know, 
spending money on legal resources, you don't have time or money to do that again. So you have to make sure, obviously, that finding that right lawyer, which I know, obviously, is part of the problem that good lawyer is attempting to solve, but finding that right lawyer that can help the first time and get it right is so crucial. So it's always nice when you do have those ends with with competent counsel that can help you out the first time. But like, just and just as a quick follow up there, as far as like setting up your company and everything else, you said you had some great counsel, and that's fantastic to hear. Was that because you already had experience and knew what was coming, or was that something that you learned? Was that lawyer able to help you walk through all the processes and the way to set up your company and the way to structure it the most effectively? Maybe a shareholder agreement again. I'd love to see what that one is between a husband and wife, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, all of those. Uh, all of those types of issues uh, did they did you have that knowledge coming in or were they able to help act as that trusted advisor as that guide and help kind of lead the way um I'd love to say yes we we found that right away and knew what we were doing but we had no clue so we we uh, we worked with a pretty big firm in Calgary because you know friend of a friend knew someone there and so um, they were great and super credible, but also super expensive. Uh, and, and so, I mean, we know that going in, right. But we didn't know that we should, we could have done what I learned at, at, at the junction program from platform are things that we could have done, um, to reduce the churn with the legal team. So, you know, we could have you know, set up our own cap table. We could have instructed the, the lawyers how we wanted the company set up and what that needed to look like. But we always thought that's the lawyer's job, but it's not. It's the entrepreneur's job. And you need to know what you're going in with. You need to know how to structure. And then you can use your legal counsel to be like, yeah, you have that right, but you should, you know, you should fix this over here. You should adjust that over there. But really, they're, they're your, I would, you know, if you're a writer, they're your editor. And so right. you can do a good bulk of your work um, and then have them fix it for you so that you're, you're, you're covered and you're protected the right way rather than coming in with a, an empty page and asking them to do all of that work for you. It's too big of a lift for a startup to, um, to manage. And as a startup, you, you really need to be, um, to, to be understanding what, what's on those papers. <laughs> Perfect answer once again. Uh, you know, and this is just such a great tip for any uh, entrepreneurs that are dealing with the legal aspect of the process. The more that you know, and the more that you understand about this thing, the better conversations you're going to have with those lawyers, which is going to save both of you time and ultimately money. Uh, because if you can, if they have a question, or if you can speak intelligently to uh, one of the issues that the lawyers is bringing up, they're going to be able to get through that much quicker without having to like follow up, maybe change a whole bunch of revisions, all of those types of things. Uh, and just as you know, shameless plug here, uh, good lawyer, we do have advice sessions. So you can literally if you have a question, call up a lawyer and ask and they generally will know offhand right away if uh, like you know and give you the four corners of that issue so it's a great resource and we are also producing go to our resources page on uh, the good lawyer website which i'll link to in the show notes uh tons of resources on all these types of things so that you can you know at least understand what it is that a lawyer's after and have better quality conversations that, like I said, ultimately will save everybody time and money. And, uh, you know, you'll get, you'll get it right the first time. So, uh, so I guess like slightly switching gears here, and you've already mentioned these a little bit, but maybe we can expound on them a little bit is, uh, were there any key obstacles 
that you have faced that you've had to come, maybe moments that you wanted to quit or difficult times to go through. Obviously, you've already mentioned COVID and how that greatly affected Fanorama. <laughs> like, and maybe just talk a bit more about the pivot that you made to, to take two and how that came about. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it, it's important to talk about the obstacles because this is this is really where we learn. And, um, you know, I talked a bit about building, you know, finding someone to build build our vision, someone that we could trust um, to deliver what we're asking for. Like, that's terrifying. And we bootstrapped on Fanarana. So it's even more terrifying. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, and then I think mentally and financially, you know, we're, you're foregoing a comfortable job and, you know, life is an adjustment. It's not for the faint of heart. Being an entrepreneur is, is you know, it's hard knocks. Um, and you've, you, you know, the odds are stacked against you and you do it anyway. Like we are all crazy. How do you manage but that I, risk? If you could just, just stick on that for two seconds, how do you like on a day to day? Cause I, I believe you told me you have a kid. Well, you, you mentioned you have kids and they're in quarantine or lockdown or whatever we call it right now. Uh, yeah. like how do you, how do you manage being an entrepreneur, you know, and then having to deal with just the regular parts of life? Yeah. Everything blends. I mean, <laughs> Life is all the things. So uh, there are really, you know, some people thrive by putting boundaries and, and borders around and compartmentalizing their life. It, it doesn't work like that for me, at least. For me, it's all happening all the time. And it's just a constant reprioritization of, of what you're doing. So, okay, the kid needs to go to the dentist. Off you go to the dentist. And, you know, you're, maybe you're taking a meeting from the car. And that's okay. But I'm okay with that, but a lot of people aren't. And so I'm, I'm okay. I'm very, you know, I'm able to switch quite easily and I have a very fluid switching pattern. So I can be working on three different things in an hour and wearing different hats. Um, and I know for myself when that stops being productive and when it's great. And so you just have to follow, you know, you have to kind of lead with where your heart is that day and respect that. So if you know you're not going to have a productive day, well, then it's going to be, you know, I'm focusing 100% on family or I'm making food or whatever I'm doing. I'll do something uh, where my time can be used well, even if I'm not highly productive in my, in my head space. Um, Great answer. So, <laughs> you know, you just, it's all happening all the time and you just have to decide, but you, you have to make those decisions. And that does get difficult if you're overwhelmed with a list and lists of everything. So I just recreate my list every day. And when my life starts falling apart, it's because I haven't looked at my list in a week. Yeah. <laughs> so you just have to go back to that. And, and to echo that, I, I'm a disorganized person by nature. Like some people like things neat and tidy. I, I Don't get me wrong. There's a point where I need to, okay, tidy things up. But I, I uh, have more of a capacity for a bit of messiness. But as I've gotten older and gotten busier, I live and die off of lists. I do the same thing. Uh, and I recommend, actually, there's a great book called The Checklist Manifesto for anyone who's interested. But it just lays out the importance of like, I lay out my day each day. And then it takes a lot of the decisions out, right? Because you just kind of follow it. And uh, I don't know, for me, I found that incredibly helpful. And uh, it sounds like you may be of similar mind in at least in some respects on that point. Um, but just sorry, and I kind of interrupted you on the uh, the pivot part. But yeah, if you want to pick up that story there about COVID hit, and then uh, you had some decisions to make, because obviously fans weren't coming to stadiums anymore. Yeah, I mean, so we we really just decided to to see how we could help. And so, you know, what could we do? What kind of expertise do we have that um, we could be applied to to the pandemic and the problem of economics. 
and social recovery. And so, um, yeah, so that's really was the impetus for, for Take Two. And I guess, you know, we're excited about this because um, we all want to get out of our houses. We all want to get right. people traveling again and get people working again and be able to see Anahagar loved ones. And what, what we noticed is that, you know, obviously there's a massive economic problem here. But there's also just a very intimate and personal problem of understanding where you're at. And, you know, can we go visit grandma? <laughs> and right. So we really want to put tools in people's hands that can let them know where they're at. Like, are they on baseline or are they off baseline? And we want to do that in a way that's, that's accessible. So, you know, there's a, I think wearables have about a 30% penetration rate. Um, that's not enough if we're going to, to do this en masse. We've got to get tools like this on your phone that that are um, you know more than a single metric right so we need a, a multi-metric solution to understanding our, our personal baselines and and I commend you for I mean starting another business I mean you're 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 crazy <laughs> it's just and especially someone like you that's not naive about what starting a business means and being able to pivot that quickly and jump into something that I'm sure takes an equal amount of work as fanoramas uh, you know very impressive now you also we were chatting before and and you were, had a little bit of reluctance to bring this up, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. Being a woman entrepreneur, is there anything in that experience? And you were mentioning a very an interaction you had, uh, I believe you said in Qatar, uh, that maybe highlights some of the challenges that women face in this world that men may not. Uh, and maybe just if you want to just tell us a briefly about your experience doing this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, being a female entrepreneur. Well, we're it's a, it's a tough one because there's uh, there's so much I could talk about in terms of experience, but you did mention our conversation about uh, being in Qatar, so I'll talk a little bit about that. So um, I guess one of the biggest challenges is um, who speaks when, right? Whose voice gets heard when and, and why and how you make those decisions. And, and you're making gendered decisions um, based on the success of your company or what you believe will be supporting the success of your company. So it gets really weird and it's messy. And so we were pitching, uh, we were pitching at Qatar sports tech. Um, and so we went all the way down there, we pitched our company and we met all kinds of amazing people from industry and, and, and made it, made a great network of contacts there. And on the last day, um, you have to pitch. And so, you know, you get the pitch coaching while you're there and, and they take you through all of this and, uh, we're looking at each other and I'm like, well, I think you should pitch out because, you know, you're, <laughs> it's a pretty male dominated society. We're sitting in, we're in front of the Royal family. And while there are very senior members of industry, uh, women members of the Royal family in industry, um, it wasn't a comfortable environment. But that's right. for sure. And our pitch coach came up and she's like, no, 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 Jamie, you have to pitch because you're a woman. And it's like, it's a competitive advantage. And I was like, okay, well, all right then. So, you know, we go practice for 24 hours, standing on the bed with a hairbrush as a mic and just trying to <laughs> practice in the hotel room. And, you know, you get on stage and, and so I did the pitch and it was terrifying. I think my lips were quivering the entire time. Like, thank God we were on the other side of the world <laughs> where nobody had to witness it. But it was extremely intimidating and it's intimidating enough to get on stage. But that was just like, holy cow, that was next level. 
Well, we didn't win the pitch, and I, I don't know if it's because of me <laughs> or if we would have won if Al had done it. But um, but I think, you know, having the uh, the 54 megahertz male voice, you know, it's having, I think voice plays a big role in how people listen to you and how you're heard. And the female voice has not yet been heard enough on stage. And so I'll keep getting on stage. I'll keep doing it. Uh, it sucks. Nobody loves doing it, but I'll keep doing it. Um, but I, I learned from that, that, um, you know, I think we need to pay attention to our own, our own perceptions of, of what we think when we see a woman on a stage and, and how we listen to her. Absolutely. I don't know. It sounds like it's like frustrating then for someone like yourself, that's obviously highly intelligent, very motivated, uh, that that's still a factor that you need to consider. Oh, it was soul crushing. I like, I didn't ever want to get back on another stage. And then, you know, when we came back to, to Calgary and started taking, you know, junction and, and the accelerator, that really helped me. They're like, no, 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 you're a natural. You should do this. Yeah. But it doesn't feel natural for anyone, but certainly my confidence was shattered after that. And so I had to rebuild that and you, you can't do that on your own. You need help. Right. Yeah. yeah no. you, you need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think stepping on stage, I think is nerve wracking for most people. But uh, yeah, having that added aspect to it, I, you know, obviously, I do not know that personally. Uh, but I could imagine that would be enough to add, a, an, add an extra degree of difficulty for sure. So for the sake of time, I'll just ask you just a couple final questions before I let you go here. But as an experienced entrepreneur, you know, if and then maybe I'll just say it for the sake of context here for Fanoramas, if you could wind back the clock, start over again, what is the main thing that you would do differently having learned what you have learned now? It's the one thing people told me uh, that I didn't listen to. And it's the one thing I will continue to tell people is don't wait to move on a great idea. Don't wait. Don't think that you need more experience in some aspect of your career or to do something. If you've got a great idea, go all in. Just get in there, get your hands dirty and do it because you can always get a job later. And now more than ever, there's so many great tools and resources available to us. And right now, many of us don't even have a choice. We've got to try something new. We've got to pivot, right? So I would say go for it. Don't wait. If you've got an idea, get moving on it. Do not wait. Execution is 99%. <laughs> and, you know, so you've got to move. Excellent. And and maybe just kind of jumping onto that, is there a moment, if you do have a job, is there a moment when you would say, hey, now's a good time to leave it? Or is it something, is that just that uh, an uncomfortable leap of faith that you'll need to make sooner or later? Yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable, um, but you have <laughs> yeah. to make it. <laughs> and, uh, and you have to make it. Like, uh, you know, I, I held my day job for a long time in the early stages of, of conceiving the idea and developing uh, planning and building the technology for Fanoramas. And, you know, at a certain point you're like, well, where you need to decide where you're going to spend your time. Are you going to spend your time working on your stuff or somebody else's? And you have to make that decision. And it's funny when, once you make it, the requirements for life will fall into place. You will find another way to bring in an income. You'll find another way to, to make things happen in a way that you need to do that. Um, but if you don't start investing in yourself and your idea, it won't happen. You can't do it off the side of your desk. That, yeah, great answer. You need to write a book or at least start your own <laughs> podcast or something. I'm sure you have lots of time for that, but seriously, wow, these are, these are just been, 
uh, answers that I know for even me hearing them um, are very timely and uh, and inspiring. So th- thank you very much for that. And as I mentioned, I have kept you a little bit longer than I promised. I'm sorry, but I, you've sucked me into this conversation. But as my very final question, and I always ask uh, all of our guests this, but um, you know, are there any resources, whether those be books, podcasts, or anything else that have helped you along your way that you believe could be beneficial for others, whether that be in business or even from a mindset perspective or just anything that you feel has been particularly meaningful to you? Um, yeah, okay. Um, I think I've already talked a little bit about the Calgary ecosystem. So for local and Alberta-based companies, you know, Platform Calgary, the Accelerator, Alberta Innovate, uh, Rainforest, 321 Growth Academy, like just get yourself connected into uh, whatever space you can. Um, leverage the, the federal and um, Alberta-based tools that are here. Um, you know, talk to people. So I would say the number one thing that's helped me is the network. Um, and, you know, that's why we're having this conversation, right? It's through the, the local network. And so, I would say that from uh, from a resource standpoint, strategizer. I use all the strategizer tools, and you know, I know Lean Startup is you know, maybe better than strategizer for certain things, but all of the online tools that you can use now to kind of create your plans and figure it out. Uh, Kim Orleski's sales videos are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the six slides—the only six slides you'll ever need to sell—that's amazing. And uh, from a, a mindfulness, uh, wellness side, I use guided meditation just to turn it off. So at night, I'll put on a guided meditation and I need it to be guided because I need to follow. Otherwise, my brain will, will uh, mm-hmm. go off on the side. I'm so the same way. I try to do that. Yeah. So I yeah. use a guided meditation at night. Um, you can do that through Headspace. There's all kinds. Like Just search it up on Spotify. You'll find one that you like and you'll find a bunch you don't. Like just You'll figure it out. But that's, uh, that's what I use. And, yep. and comedy, comedy. I will throw on some <laughs> comedy shows and there's nothing like a good, good laugh to kind of relieve the pressure. So isn't that I, the we truth? Watch comedy. <laughs> yeah. 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 We like uh, stand up comedy. Absolutely. We were, we were recently watching Dave Chappelle, who is one of my all time favorites. And yeah. it's amazing how that can just elevate your mood almost instantaneously and uh, allow you to put some maybe otherwise overwhelming problems or issues that you're facing in perspective and, and meditation. I, I, uh, honestly, it, it has been absolute lifesaver for me. Uh, I know it's starting to gain popularity and it's certainly something that is a skill and doesn't come overnight, but I, I can't recommend it enough because once you do stick with it and start seeing some of the benefits from it, it's, uh, it's really, and I, I don't think I'm over exaggerating here or anything. It's, it can be very life-changing. So, so thank you once again. Uh, thank you for bearing with me with some of the technical difficulties that we had uh, connecting here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really appreciate this conversation. I think that there's just a ton. I'm going to be re-listening to it, just taking notes myself. Um, inspirational story. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, speaking with me today. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on your show and uh, all the best to you and stay safe, everybody. Thank you. Thanks again to Jamie for being on the show. If you like what you heard, please download, rate, and subscribe. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.